Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with the social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I'm a hospice social worker. Today, I want to talk to you about frontline workers and essential workers and a personal perspective about how all of this is going on. Um, As I say in the intro, I am a hospice social worker, and obviously, people don't stop dying of natural causes and other things. Um, just because there's a pandemic going on. So, of course, our jobs are essential because we're healthcare workers. Now, when I hear healthcare worker, I usually think something like the front lines, right? The hospitals, the ERs. But there are other frontline workers slash healthcare workers that aren't working in hospitals. And we are kind of in that group. So we are having contact with patients when we need to. Um, luckily because we have an amazing organization that I work for. My coworkers are great. My leadership is great. They really keep us informed about all the different changes going on and even send us fun things like live cams of animals just to kind of keep our spirits up because everybody's going through some craziness, right? This anxiety of Nobody knows what's going on. There's an uncertainty underlying everything because we don't know what the world's going to look like in six months or even one month at this point, honestly. And so even though we're all dealing with our own separate issues, and that includes frontline workers and essential workers, we're really coming together, um, especially in my organization, to take care of people that are dying regardless of their COVID status. However, recently I did actually come in contact with someone who was COVID positive and it's complicated. Um, they're not dying of COVID. They're dying of something else, but they're still COVID positive, And so we have to take all of those precautions that you see on the news with the gowns and the gloves and the booties and the masks And let me tell you, I know everybody is scrambling out there wanting an N95 mask, but if you've ever had to wear it for any length of time, it sucks. I wore mine for three hours, and I honestly don't know how nurses and doctors do it and aides and social workers and everyone else that has to wear them for eight hours at a time in the hospital. I have to assume that they're getting breaks in between patients and taking that thing off because... My goodness, breathing back in your own CO2 is a struggle. You know, those those masks have to be fitted. They're not just regular dust masks. You can't just have one. Now, if you do have one out there, you're using one that's not fitted, it's still better than not having one at all. But having them fitted means it's, it's a tight seal to your face, basically. Um, it's not as tight as when I was in the military and... You had to seal it around your face for a nuclear biological weapons attack. But honestly, sometimes that was easier to breathe in. These N95 masks are no joke. And man, massive respect to people that have to wear them all day. They're a little claustrophobic. And I just, I felt terrible after wearing mine for three hours. My chest was tight. It felt like someone was sitting on me. And you know... This COVID disease is about breathing. So, of course, even though it wouldn't react that quickly, 
that's the first thing you start to think of is, oh my gosh, you know, did I get some? Did something slip in that I wasn't careful enough about? Or, you know, so you start worrying crazy things like that. And putting on and off the PPE, the personal protective equipment, that is no fun either. You're, first of all, having to carry around all of that stuff in your car. You're out in, you know, if you're in a neighborhood, if it's not someone that's living rurally, then you're wondering, am I further stigmatizing this person because the neighbors are watching me put all of this on, even though for patients that aren't COVID positive, we're still wearing protective gear on some level just to make sure that we're not bringing it to anyone else since we're going from home to home. So, you know, even when I'm just wearing the minimum gear and not the COVID gear, I'm wondering, am I stigmatizing my patients? So when I go in with full, you know, face shield and mask and everything else, what is that saying to the person? I mean, part of why we accept people and why there's a hospice program at all is that a lot of those people want to die at home. And so when they're at home, what's the psychological effect of someone coming into their home that looks like they're in the hospital? I wonder that. I think they're probably more comfortable at home with their family members being able to be there. But then it makes me worry about the family members. Are they taking the necessary precautions to not get infected? Are they taking the necessary precautions to not spread it into the community? Are they having access to the proper PPE? So <clears throat> my, my social work brain kind of goes into overdrive of the justice of it all and being careful and self-determination and autonomy and all the values that social workers hold up. I really have to stop and think about, you know, what's my role in this and not try not to take everything on because I can't save the world. I can't even save individuals. They have to do that for themselves. But what I'm doing is walking alongside them and in this setting, um, making sure that they have the best quality of life for as long as they have. Honestly, I was going to do a podcast the same day that I went to see the COVID positive patient. But my brain was so scrambled that I wasn't sure I could be HIPAA compliant. (laughs) I really needed to make sure that I had a couple days separation so that when I did tell the story that I made sure I kept all the important details out so that they weren't identifiable. And by the time I saw the first, my first COVID patient, um, you know, COVID had been around for three weeks in, in the world. And I mean, in a major way, longer than that, but, um, in the, in the way that hospitals are going about their business and we're in a lockdown, it's pretty incredible to me that it actually took that long. And at first when they said, you know, we may have someone come on, that's, you know, eventually it's going to happen, you know, especially being in Washington state. We knew we were going to get people that were COVID positive at some point, even if it's that they weren't dying of it. But as you hear on the news, maybe they, maybe they survived the COVID, but they have another underlying condition that's actually impacting their life and, and it's terminal. So we still have to take those precautions and yeah, I, I was okay with it. I wanted to be supportive of it. I'm fairly healthy. 
I'm in my midlife. I don't feel like I have an unnecessarily high risk of getting it um, or of having to be on a ventilator. My family does know all of my wishes if I was to contract it and for some reason need uh, to be on a ventilator. So I have all those ducks in a row just in case, but I was fine with it. I had all my gear. I felt like I had practiced and knew what I was getting into. And then came about 30 minutes before I got the go ahead to go. And all of a sudden, this wave of anxiety came over me, which kind of surprised me, honestly. I hadn't had any fears about going into a COVID home until that very moment. And then I guess maybe because it was real, because it was actually happening. And <clears throat> I went on my way and... I'm sorry, by the way, that I'm clearing my throat. I, I do have seem to have developed some allergies over the past years, which is complicating things. Um, but no fever, no cough, no anything like that. I don't have any symptoms. Um, but yeah, so I have this wave of anxiety sweep over me. And first of all, you have to deal with the anxiety itself of, okay, well, I can't back out. This is my job. This is what I have to do. And... Also, it's okay. It's going to be okay. This is an irrational fear and you've got all the equipment and everything's going to be okay. So luckily, by the time I got there and got all my equipment on and, and met the family, then I was okay. I didn't think about it until the end, really. Um, that's when, as I described with the mask situation, that was a real bummer. But during the visit, I wasn't nervous. It was just that initial, oh my gosh, what's going on? And I wondered if other people that aren't in, as I said, the front lines, the hospitals, the people that are having to wear this every single day, um, EMTs, I know I'm missing people, grocery store clerks, so my, my goodness, can we just talk about that for a minute? People that are out there stocking shelves having minimal PPE and very likely being exposed to people. When I was anxious for those few minutes, I just kept thinking about all the different people in the world that are being exposed that don't have the same equipment that I do, that aren't as educated around the virus and what's going on on a daily basis because I work in healthcare. Um, the people that are out there in the world doing their normal jobs that aren't in healthcare um, probably aren't getting that kind of information. They're watching it on whatever news source they have and depending on that news source um, and depending on their level of being able to manage how much news they're watching a day is how much good information they're going to get. It's scary. I worry about other people. I worry about my family. I worry about me. But I really worry about those those nurses and social workers and doctors and aides and EMTs and people that are coming into contact with it every single day, what is that doing to their mental health? You know, this, this crisis is going to go on for a while. Now I'm seeing in the news, this is today's the 19th of April, and I'm seeing that people are starting to protest that their rights are essential, that their rights are being infringed upon because they're being asked to stay home. I know people are scared and frustrated and anxious. They want to be able to go out and 
be in nature. I think part of it's that American don't tread on me mentality. Uh, we've been so focused on, you know, our individual rights in this country that sometimes the Spock version of what's good for the many is more important than good than what's good for the one. I know I'm saying that wrong, so bear with me here. Uh, but you have to think about, it's not you getting it, it's you spreading it. And even as we're seeing cases that are now finally reaching the middle states, the states that aren't so densely populated, the states that feel like, oh, well, we only have one or two cases. Well, actually, the map that I saw today, there's not a single state that has less than 100 cases. And that doesn't seem like very many when you're talking about millions, but that's how it starts. That's how it starts. So when you're out there protesting, I want you to think about what is it you're protesting? Are you protesting your frustration and your anger and your uncertainty and your anxiety? Or are you protesting a true rights violation? And for the love of God, please stop comparing yourself to Rosa Parks. I don't know where that came from, but it has nothing to do with anything going on. Ugh. I hope you all listened to the podcast that I was endorsing last week. It's not my podcast. It's all my relations podcast. And they did a special on COVID-19 and how it's affecting Native Americans. I think pretty much in every aspect of society, Native Americans are completely overlooked. We're talking about how calling it the Chinese virus is causing hate attacks against Asian Americans, which is terrible. We're hearing that black Americans are, for a variety of reasons that are absolutely true, more affected and more vulnerable to the coronavirus, to COVID-19. But we're not really hearing much about some other populations. I really haven't heard anything about the Hispanic population, at least on the several different news sites that I've seen, including local news. And I really haven't heard much about Native Americans. And why is that? You know, you have to go out of your way sometimes to hear perspectives that aren't yours. And just coming back to the my rights are being violated situation, I'm also seeing it labeled as white privilege. And while I don't necessarily disagree with that, because that's all of the people I'm seeing for the most part, I think we also need to be careful of labeling things because calling out white privilege in this instance, when fears are running high and people are anxious and uncertain, is really just going to continue to divide us. I, I really was hoping that something like this, something that's affecting literally the entire world, would start to bring America together. Yes, we are the United States. Each state is completely individual. And even within those states, as Washingtonians know for sure, it feels like two different states um, within our state borders. But this divisiveness, this political rhetoric, you know, we really need to stop and look at where we're getting our news. Who is organizing these protests? Is it a grassroots people that you know protest? Or did somebody, some group 
that you don't know that sounds legitimate, start that shit on Facebook. And, you know, we've seen this time and time again. How about that group that caused the uh, genocide over in, uh, it's escaping me now, but there was an African country that that had a place, got, oh no, uh, it was Myanmar, where all the shootings happened. And that was not even, you know, when you, when you get to the source of it, it's not even the people that they thought it was. You know, it's basically, for lack of a better word, trolls. Trolls are getting on there. And like right now, for these protests, they're getting on there and using things like, you know using words like patriot or patriotic or libertarian or, you know, American rights or, you know, a lot of the rhetoric that we hear oftentimes from Republicans um, or libertarians and, and things that sound super patriotic. So you really need to delve into, if you're hearing about an organized thing, where is that coming from? Is it actually coming from people you know, an organization that you trust, an organization that you're a part of? I'm not going to tell you not to go out and protest. I'm saying, I guess it is your constitutional right to protest things. I wish you wouldn't. I wish that you would at least stay six feet apart when you are protesting. Um, I saw a sign yesterday that also kind of tickled my, my irritated bone, not funny bone. That was a sign that said my body, my right. And they were talking about wearing a mask. I, the irony of course, is that it's the right or the Republican slash right conservative side of things using a pro-life slogan or pro-choice slogan, I'm sorry, to say that they don't have to wear a mask anymore. And I mean, come on, (laughs) can we not, can we just not do that right now? Can we just please, please, please think of others. I know there's so, so many millions of people out of work right now. And you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what your mortgage is going to do. A lot of these big companies are getting bailouts. And you're like, what about me? $1,200 isn't going to do anything for my mortgage and my electric bill and my car bill and everything else. Food. And that's not even counting health care if any of you get sick. And I'm not even talking about coronavirus sick. I'm talking about regular sick. God forbid somebody go break a bone right now that doesn't have a job we just need to take a breath. We need to take a breath, step back, and help each other out. Help where you can. Help your fellow individuals. I'm sure when the news is not completely filled with COVID-19 information, they're going to start talking about how dying by suicide has increased. I've already started hearing it. It's not been on the main, mainstream news, but I've been hearing that people are either dying by suicide because they think that they're positive or they're dying by suicide because of isolation. Isolation is legit a serious and scary thing for people that 
you know, for species that is so social. We humans crave social interaction. We are built for it. Even the most introverted of introverts at some point needs that interaction. So please check on each other. Check on people that you know are living alone. Even if it's just a phone call, even if it's just a text message or, you know, go handpick some wildflowers in your yard and drop them at their doorstep. No contact. <laughs> Uh, leave a little gift package of things that you know that they love. Maybe some tomato soup and and crown royal, whatever. <laughs> but get creative. Something that someone will know that you are thinking of them in these times. This episode is a little bit rambly. It's a little more off the cuff. I didn't write anything down. I just wanted to kind of get my thoughts out about how scary it was to be on the front lines of things. But also, if I'm feeling this way, and I'm not even seeing that many people, and I've only seen one known COVID positive patient, how must the people that are having to deal with this on a regular basis be doing? And it's, (laughs) I just, it just occurred to me this very instant that it's like being a military veteran that never went to war. You hear, thank you, healthcare workers, thank you, essential workers all the time. But is it really you? Do they really mean you? If you're the one that's staying home and doing most of your visits and check-ins via phone or video chat because you're trying to keep your patients safe, does it? are you the one that they're thanking? When they're thanking veterans, are they thanking the ones that stayed back to do mechanics or the mailroom or the laundry or cooking. I know a lot of veterans that have a hard time accepting their veteran status because they didn't go to war and particularly the ones that are in my time range where a lot of the people that they served with went into Iraq and uh, Iraq, I should say, and Afghanistan. I didn't. I almost did. I got all my gear and I got ready to go, but I didn't go. And part of me is thankful that I didn't go. And the other part of me says, do I really get to hold that veteran status even when I didn't go? I know people that were in that served during Vietnam that didn't actually go to Vietnam. They went to Hawaii or they went to Germany and they have the same kind of feelings like, well, yeah, I'm a veteran, but and they caveat it. And I feel like essential workers and healthcare workers that aren't working in hospitals may be feeling the same way. So I just want to throw those thoughts out there. I want to hear from all of you if you have any input or thoughts or you want to talk about whatever's going on with you. I'm still trying to get a couple interviews lined up, but with everything going on, I feel like everybody's mind is just everywhere. Everybody's scattered. Everybody is dealing with this in their own way and some days feel good and some days feel like shit. So hang in there, people. If you need to reach out, email me at someDayDeadPC at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at someDayDeadPC. You can find me on Facebook at SomedayWillAllBeDeadPodcast. And any of those ways you can reach out and, you know, if you just need to check in, if you need to talk about movies, which you know we love. I have one more episode that I'll probably release next week that Matt and I were talking about movies, something a little more lighthearted. 
<clears throat> if you want to talk about coronavirus, if you want to talk about social work, if you want to talk about healthcare, if you want to talk about anxiety, you know, I do have a master's in social work, which means I do know a little bit about anxiety. <laughs> so please take care of each other out there. Uh, we're going to all die at some point anyway. None of us are going to escape this life alive. So why, you know, I, I heard a, a pundit talking yesterday, Andrew Sullivan, who's not always my favorite person on the TV, but he made some really great points about just living in the now and not taking extra risks, but also accepting the fact that we're fragile and our life is precarious and we could die at any moment from anything. So there's got to be a balance of living with uncertainty. So let's try to live with uncertainty, but still live, if you know what I mean. Because someday we'll all be dead. <laughs>